Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Female Founders Network, a podcast brought to you by Invoice to Go. I'm your host, Nat, and I'm joined by my co host, Sylvie. Hey, everyone. We record our show in the Forbes Street studio in downtown Sydney, Australia, but we bring guests from all over the world. So you'll hear people from the US, the United Kingdom, Europe, the Asia Pacific, anywhere that we find women who lead and inspire others. This is a great podcast for women who are navigating business ownership, leadership, or just life. Each episode should connect you with someone else's story, but also leave you with practical tips and advice that you can use in your own life and in your own business. Today, we're speaking with Shelley Ziegenkopf, a boutique jewellery brand owner who took a leap by opening a storefront shop in the middle of the pandemic. In this episode, Shelley will discuss her first venture into business, using her background as a retail manager to springboard her journey into entrepreneurship and selling everything, including the shirt off her back, in order to invest in her business. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hi, Shelley. How are you today? I'm great. I'm so excited to be here with you guys and huge fan of the podcast. Oh, great. And we actually have Shelley in the studio today, guys. So it is a rare occasion. In fact, can you just go a bit closer to the mic? (laughs) We've got her here in our Forbes Street studio. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm so excited because I I basically want to buy everything that I see in your store always. Aww, thanks, guys. <laughs> um, so we just want to know, we want to start out with how you became the woman you are today. Everything that shaped you, we know all of it. Leave out no dirty detail. Amazing. It's been quite a journey, hasn't it? <laughs> it has been a massive journey to get um, to where I am today. Um, so, yeah, I'm very excited to chat all things Porter with you guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tell us about... How you became the woman you are, like, where did you grow up, your childhood story and how you grew up? Yeah. Um, so I originally, um, so I'm from Adelaide. Ah. Oh, and I then when you. I was about five, um, my parents, they moved to Penrith in Sydney, good old um, out west. Yeah. Um, and then from there, my parents split up when I was quite young. And then um, we moved to the Central Coast. Oh. And so, yeah. So I was living in Terrigal and Central Coast. Um, and then... Oh, well, that's a hideous place. <laughs> <laughs> it's, actually, it's such a beautiful place. But a lot of people, they go there to retire. Okay. Yeah. So I very quickly realised if I want to do anything with myself, um, I'm going to have to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so then when I was about... 18, I moved to Sydney with yeah. um, part of my family. Um, and then I was working in retail. So I started working retail when I was about, as soon as I could, when I was about 14. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was working um, for a little multi-brand boutique. They're selling, you know, Zimmerman and Beckenbridge and all those beautiful Those are brands. really fancy brands for yeah. the Americans <laughs> in the room. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Um, it's like some of my most coveted brands. Um, absolutely <laughs> love them. Wait till they go on sale. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and I absolutely loved working um, in this little boutique and I think that's where I really found my passion for um, the fashion industry and these beautiful Australian brands. And um, we, we have, like, literally the best fashion here in Australia. Yeah. Um, really incredible local brands and a lot of them are designed here in Sydney. Yeah, and very unique fashion as well. Yeah. Like it's really that's what struck me when I first moved to Australia was how many local and independent designers were in the yeah. boutique. There's not in the UK. There's a high street and there's very like homogenous brands mm. and it's uh-huh. like and it's, every high street looks the same. Yeah. yeah. Whereas here, all the high streets are different. Like mm. you can shop different brands and there's just a lot more small proud, business. Like, small business. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. It's, it's gorgeous. Yeah. 
Um, and so, yeah, I was working there for some time um, and then um, moved on from there and then I started working for a company here in Australia called Country Road. Mm-hmm. And very quickly kind of worked my way um, up the business and started as a casual and then um, moved on to management and doing all of that. And so very quickly um, kind of progressed my career in retail. Yeah. And what age Um, was this then now? I would have been... 18. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, so I started really young and I always She's just, a hustler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it was it was really interesting because even though I was such a young age, I mean, I was managing people who, you know, two, three times my age mm-hmm. um, and I really loved it. Yeah. Um, and then from there, coming back to where I was working at that small um, retail boutique, the multi-brands, I, I always wanted to do something like that for myself. And at that time, it was pre-times when... Um, you know, there were so many boutiques that were doing these multi-brand um, kind of concepts. Like this just wasn't around back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and when now nowadays, like you see these beautiful boutiques everywhere, stocking multi um, multi Australian brands and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, you know, I'd, I'd really like to do something like this for myself. Um, I feel like I've got a great eye for um, you know curating these collections with all these different brands. And so I decided to leave Country Road where I was working and kind of branch out and do my own thing. And basically I worked for this um, this company for about two years. I literally saved every penny that I had. Yeah. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I mean, you know, um, I had, I think I would have saved about $30,000 at that time. Wow. So I literally, I was living at home. As a teenager? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. I couldn't say, like if my parents gave me like a hundred bucks as a teenager, I was like, and to them all I got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just, I was, I was quite good with my money growing up. Yeah. Um, and I literally just saved every penny that I had. Um, and yeah, I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to branch out. I'm going to do this myself. I started looking um, at retail spaces. So, you know, approached um, here in Australia, we have a big chain called Westfield. Mm-hmm. Um, was approaching shopping malls like that um, and very quickly realized that my mere $30,000 wasn't going to take me very far. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably be half the bond um, for a retail wow. space. In such and a big mall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, even for, you know, um, a small 30, you know, square space that was still like what you were looking at just for the bond, let alone a fit out and doing all of that. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so then I was like, okay, so maybe I need to look outside of a mall and move to um, on like a main street somewhere. Yeah. And um, you're still 18 at this point, right? Yeah, I was still, yeah 18. Wow. No, I, would have, I would have just turned 19 by this point oh when God. I left. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, so I started looking around um, in the CBD, just on the streets, um, uh, you know, in the rocks here in Sydney, which is a really beautiful spot around Circular Quay near the Opera House and the Hub yeah. Bridge. And then that's the place. If any of you guys have visited Australia, that you've probably been, yeah. Place, yeah, high tourist <laughs> yeah. Um, destination. Yes, yeah. good historic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and at that time, there were so many spaces available in the rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, they were gorgeous, you know, heritage buildings, like absolutely incredible and really small spaces too, wouldn't be very large. Um, and so then I approached a few places and I realised, right, this is in my budget. Um, they were really open to negotiating on rent mm-hmm. and doing all of that. And so I locked in a space, signed a contract and I was like, oh my goodness, I need stock. <laughs> um, and then also working with um, a multi-brand business a lot of the the brands that I wanted to take in, they work on indenting orders. So you'd have to order six to nine months in advance. Wow. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I've just signed a contract for a retail space and I've got no stock. <gasps> and you can't get any stock for six to nine <laughs> no. months. And what, what year is this? Um, this would have been seven years ago, so 2014. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. So. I literally picked up the phone and started calling all the designers that I wanted to work with um, and saying, I need stock, <laughs> whatever you have, whether it's good stock or not. I was like, I'll take your dead stock, like I'll yeah. take anything. Um, and so, yeah, so I managed to get enough stock to kind of get us ticking. Yeah. It wasn't the best product. So when I first opened up the boutique, it was it was a slow start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but eventually it took time and I started indenting product um, and curated a really beautiful collection in the store. Yeah. So I had that for um, about five and a half years. I had that business. Wow. Wow. Yeah. But you took a really big risk with that business because, like, I met Shelly a few years ago. Yeah. And yeah. one of the things that really struck me about you is we started talking about your business and how you got things started. And you had to, like, take out a quite a big loan as well, didn't you? And I remember the thing that you said to me, because I was like, wow, did you not feel nervous about taking out a loan to buy all this stock? Mm. And you were like, well, there was just no plan B. Yeah, there literally was no plan B. It was like, <laughs> I'm going to figure it out. No matter what, everything, there's a solution to every problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think at that time I had three different credit cards, which I definitely could not afford. And I don't know who gave me those credit cards. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very quickly maxed them all out. But it was mm. so worth it because in that time, um, once things started ticking along, I was able to pay, pay back what I needed to do yeah. Um, yeah. and then start the business being profitable yeah beautiful did you ever feel like giving up oh every day really (laughs) yeah um well not every day but you know um running a retail company it's not it's not easy like there's there's highs and there's lows um and then at that time I also had uh, my older brother Mm -hmm. so we teamed up um and he was looking after um kind of like the business side of things, so the accounts. Um, he would come along to the buying appointments with mm-hmm. me as well. Um, so, yeah, that kind of took a huge weight off my shoulders. Oh, that's mm-hmm. good, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then in that time I actually I did become quite unwell. I think it was probably in the fourth year of having um, Sardis Boutique. Mm-hmm. And I was suffering with really, really severe anxiety and mm. stress just from having the business. I was so young and I just didn't know how yeah. to manage the stress of um, running a retail space. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think it was about the fourth year, I was like, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. Yeah. Um, and then in that time, unfortunately, um, my business partner, uh, we kind of split ways, which was really disheartening, and it was just it was a lot running the business by yeah. myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, running a team um, and also suffering with really, really severe anxiety which was not ideal. Mm. Um, and so then it got up to the fifth year. So I, I kind of ticked along for another year. And mm-hmm. then there was an option to sign on another lease. And I was like, I don't actually think I can do it. Yeah. And I just need to look after myself and, you know, go and just work for somebody else and, and just alleviate alleviate that stress. Yeah. Get your energy back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Some chill time. You yeah. need some chill time. Some serious <laughs> chill time. <laughs> you just need to take a breath. 100%. Um, yeah. And I think I even from a really young age, I was always quite driven. Yeah. And so even well, my clearly. body my yeah. body was saying no. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, no, let's keep going. Let's keep yeah. going. And I literally just, I, I to put it in short, like I just burnt myself out. Yeah. yeah. And it was my body being like, you just need to chill out. And so then I ended up um, deciding to close artists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I literally, I didn't work for a year. So wow. I just, I, I I had enough savings where I just yeah. didn't work and I just focused on myself. Yeah. And it was such a beautiful time. Like, in um, it was so funny. The day that I closed Sardis, I actually met my now partner. We've been together for nearly two years. 
Mm-hmm. And it was just such a lovely time to just focus on getting Aww. to know each other yeah. and building a really beautiful relationship. Yeah. Um, and he was always my biggest support. He's like, you know, you just do what you need to do. And uh, yeah. if you want to go work for somebody else, like, just go do that. Or if you just want to chill out. Yeah. And so in that time of chilling, um, coming, being somebody who's so driven, yeah. I was like, I need something. <laughs> yeah. I need you something. I was like, let's start my next business. Like, let's go. Yeah. Um, and so then... I, I always had a real love for jewellery. And even mm-hmm. when I had Sardis Boutique, I was I was designing an in-house brand at that time, um, which it wasn't named Porto. It was just jewellery where I would source things or I'd design things and we'd put them in um, the space. And it always did really, really well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd sell out as soon as we would put it in the space. Um, and so that's kind of where Porter was birthed from. And oh. so while I wasn't working... Um, I was still sort of working and started, you know, sourcing um, materials and um, creating designs. And eventually I decided, I'm, you know, I'm going to do um, a jewellery line. Mm. And so then um, created a website, you know, did all the branding, packaging, um, designs, produced it all, and then launched Porter. Nice. Yeah. Online, you mean? Online, yes, yeah. online, okay. yeah. Okay. So I didn't have a retail space at that time. Gotcha. Um, and then also in that time, um, I was like, you know what, I'm a, I'm a little bit bored and I need I need something else as well. So then I started um, working for a beautiful designer here in Australia called Ginger and Smart. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I worked for them for several months um, and I loved being there. And then I was offered a, another really exciting opportunity to work for another um beautiful retail company, which is very similar to my original business, Sardis, that I was running. It was a multi-brand boutique, really well known in the industry. Um, and I knew the, uh, the owner of um, this company quite well. Yeah. And so then I went on to be their sales manager. So I was working for them in their retail space, um, looking after all their retail and their team. And I very quickly realised that it just wasn't the right place for me. Yeah. You just wanted to be doing your own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I loved being there and I learned a lot in the short space of time that I was there. But mm-hmm. I just remember there was this there was this one day I was working there and I was just really fed up. It just it wasn't the right place for me. And I remember going out, just taking a 10-minute break, and I saw this space in Bondi. And I had a big <laughs> police sign on the front door. And I was like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> don't be stupid, child. <laughs> um, and I don't know what prompted me to do it. And I literally, I picked up the phone. And I called this leasing agent and I was like, I've got a brand. (laughs) (laughs) And I want this space. Tell me the price, um, you know, like what you're looking for in this space. And Mm -hmm. she said, yeah, it's available straight away. Mm -hmm. Um, That night I I literally, I I quit my job. Wow, oh my I just I just knew straight away it wasn't yeah. it wasn't the right place for me and it wasn't good for my mental health. But you'd been feeling that I'm guessing for a little while because you were sort of not really as happy there. You wanted to yeah. be doing your own thing. Yeah. yeah. Were you running Porter online at the same, at the time, same time as well? So yeah. was it just yeah. all kind of getting on top? It was yeah, and it it wasn't it wasn't going you know like gangbusters where I couldn't keep on top of it. I was getting you know a couple orders a day. Like it was nothing crazy. Yeah. It was yeah. manageable. It was more just something to keep me busy and say. I have my own little business on the side. Yeah, yeah right. Um, and, yeah, so then um, I, I, I literally quit my job. Um, I put in an offer to the space and it was you know, a little bit of back and forth um, and after about three or four weeks I signed the lease. Yeah. And I was like, right, 
um, I don't think I have enough money. <laughs> were, you, were you nervous about going back into retail and having a, a store? Or do you feel like that was the thing that you knew best? So you, 100%. You were, yeah. like I know retail in our, I've worked um, in the industry for 13 years. Yeah. Um, right. So it's a thing I know like like nothing else. Um, and I always felt like if you get a business right, it doesn't matter what the environment, um, doesn't matter what, you know, the, the economy is like, like I opened this up in the middle of COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, if, I feel like if you get something right, it, it just works. Not saying yeah. that I feel like I've 100% got it right, but if you create a business, um, right price points, beautiful product, like people, mm-hmm. it, it just, it ticks along and it works. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I ended up signing the lease and I was like, oh my God, I don't I don't have enough money. I, I paid the bond, I paid my first <laughs> month's rent and I was like, what am I going to do now? And I literally, I sold everything that I had, like to the point where mm-hmm. I had two pieces left in my wardrobe. Like wow. I literally, my housemate came home and she's like, <laughs> Where's the couch? <laughs> like I literally, I just sold everything that Are I you had. Serious? Yeah, like, oh, wow. like everything. And I was always a big believer working in the fashion industry. Like you buy, buy once and you buy well. And so the pieces that I had to sell, they were you know beautiful designer pieces, like low and high end designer pieces. And so yeah. they held their value. And so when I went to sell them, I sold them for nearly the same amount that I purchased them for. Wow. And so. Yeah, and then I managed to raise enough capital to pay for a really beautiful fit out. Um, pay for my inventory mm-hmm. to do a retail space. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, and so then about four weeks later we did a fit out and I was I remember me and my um, partner, we were literally like on our hands and knees like doing the flooring in the shop. Oh, my God. <laughs> doing, um, <laughs> like we painted the whole um, the whole space. We attempted to do the electrical and very quickly realised that we, we don't do we, the electrical. <laughs> we shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> Um, it's 250 volts of electricity on this island (laughs) and that's what he kept reminding me I was like no but YouTube like (laughs) it's fine we'll figure it out Um, but my brother he's actually an electrician he's like you should just call me and so I did I called him Mm. Um, and then yeah so the fit out took about three weeks and then we opened up the space and uh, like you just never know what to expect when you open up a new business let alone opening up in the middle of COVID Yeah, yeah and um the, the first weekend, we sold out of, like, nearly everything. Really? And wow. I was like, oh, my goodness. Wow. Um, and so very quickly, I had to, um, you know, get production cranking. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, very extremely high freight cost bringing it in from offshore and doing all of that. But I just did whatever I had to do because, mm-hmm. like, you can't have a space with no stock. Yeah. Right. Um, and so... Because it's not like a website where you just have the picture of it still yeah, with yeah, yeah. pre-order if you've got an empty space <laughs> <laughs> I mean the shop was beautiful to look at like yeah. the fit out people coming like, oh gorgeous um, <laughs> but very quickly like within uh, two and a half weeks we were fully restocked again so yeah. it was okay um, and yeah it's just kind of been ticking along ever since wow well it's just such an incredible story and like of resilience as well and kind of really putting everything on the line like mm. selling your furniture to be able to Crazy. buy stock it's just selling your clothes yeah <laughs> like having two outfits left literally, literally. selling the clothes off your back to yeah. be able to, like that's where the saying comes from right like, yeah. <laughs> that was you I was like it's just amazing to hear that you that you did that and I'm so glad it's going well like what what are the what are the things that you've learned in this process with, for example, you know, w- what is it in your stores that you think is is what helps people like to to make that purchase and trust the brand? And what is it about the the stock and, and 
and basically what you're selling that you think works? Like, yeah. what's the magic formula for you that, that's really helped? For me, I think it's, um, you know, when I created a brand, there's a lot of, in Australia, there's a lot of, and everywhere, there's a lot of jewellery brands and basically a lot of people, what they do, they find a, a product, you know, online, um, mm. create some packaging um, market it really well and sell it and they don't generally believe in the product mm -hmm. um, it's not quality um, and so they're just there to make a quick dollar mm -hmm. where with our product um, it's th the quality is beautiful so it's all 18 karat gold vermeil mm -hmm. which basically sits on a sterling silver base so it's not just like cheap plated jewelry where a lot of time plated jewelry isn't real gold it's yeah. just like spray on gold mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's really important that we, um, my brand and my staff, we communicate that with our customers. Like it's genuinely really beautiful product. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not, you know, fast fashion, um, costume jewellery. Yeah. And right. I think um, people have really related to that, especially yeah. in this time where, you know, don't want to add to landfill and do all of that. Um, so... Yeah, I just feel like it's a really honest, beautiful brand that's really well price pointed. And also I, I work in the store almost every single day and so people have really enjoyed um, connecting with, you know, the yeah. person behind the brand. Yeah. Um, and people love the beautiful branding and the packaging and the boxes and I just think coming into the, the space, it's an experience. Mm. And we want every person that walks in there, whether they look like they're there to spend money or not, um, we are so welcoming to every single person that walks in. And I really communicate that to my staff, that every person that walks mm. into our shop feels welcomed yeah. and, mm -hmm. um, you know, enjoys the experience of being there. And um, it's a beautiful product and, um, you know, they get to enjoy luxury at like an everyday affordable price. Yeah, right. that's, that's so true. It is a, like not like completely priced out, but it looks and feels like quality. Yeah. Like I felt the jewellery myself and it's, it is gorgeous. Yeah, Aww. I so, want everything. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the production process? Like yeah. how do you go from an idea of what you want to create mm. to actually making it, sourcing it? Can mm. you just describe that process? Yeah, absolutely. So with Porter, so, you know, if um, any of our listeners ever jump online and, and have a look at the product, it's very it's very minimal, it's very simple. Um, they're very much, you know, um, pieces that you would have, you know, hopefully for a really long time. They're very classic. So, um, for instance, um, our new collection is called Heirloom, which is basically all the beautiful pieces that, you know, passed down from your mum and your grandma. Um, and so they're very much like classic designs. And so basically mm -hmm. what I would do, I would create a collection. I'd have, um, you know, I'd find imagery of um, pieces that I really liked or even pieces that were inspired that my mother used to wear. Yeah. Very, very simple designs. Um we work with a factory offshore um, and I would basically contact them and say, you know, I'm looking um, this particular shape with beveled edges, like a bangle, for instance. Yeah. Um, uh, do you do you have a particular mould of this? Um, do we need to create a new mould? Um, and it's generally a lot cheaper um, cost-wise to work off a mould that already exists rather okay. than creating a new mould. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so they would say, yes, we might have this. Um, but then basically what we do is we tell them exactly what fabrications we want and materials that go into it. So they're all really high quality um, materials that go in. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, and then they would produce the item. I'd get a sample back if I approve the sample, if we make any changes to it. Um, and then once we get the approval, we, we, we produce everything in really small batches so yeah. that mm -hmm. we, there's no waste. 
Um, so say we would do 10 or 20 units at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, we would get them back. Once it's all approved, we create a collection, say, of you know, 10, 15, 20 pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, then we put it into the retail space. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. That's, th- that's such a key thing, I think, that now brands need to focus on is that sustainability mm, play and like yeah. not overproducing and yeah. and yeah it's it's something that consumers are demanding more of yeah. as well and that you also touched on it before about how as the person behind the brand mm. people like to connect with that mm. I think one thing I've noticed as a shift in social media and how we handle social now with brands is that there's a lot more connection behind the people that are creating yeah. the yeah. the products yeah. and like people want to understand like who the founder is and like mm. what the story is mm. and there's like there's a real like brand storytelling piece that we yes. now have to tell mm. for yes. people to connect with a brand it's not like it was like years back where it was a faceless brand yeah. that mm. presented itself in this like gleaming image people want to see the behind the scenes they want to like get in touch Mm. with like who the founder is and stuff like that yeah and I know from um a consumer point of view before I had my brand or before I had my store I was following these people I was following you know on social media I was following the buyers and the designers of these brands because I wanted to know who they were I wanted to know how they got to where they got to like that was Mm -hmm. what inspired me so when I created my first retail business I made sure that I was always like front of house I was working the store my story was always being told and same now having another brand um that my story is behind the branding yeah Um, because I think that was really important that's something that really stuck out to me as well was there any time or can you describe a time when something went wrong and you had this new brand yeah with Porsche where you had to like (laughs) tell us quickly problem solve like yeah um I think the the biggest thing was probably in COVID. Um, oh, actually, no, there isn't. There's another thing. So there's something. So obviously, I was saying um, all of our product it's made offshore. There's something called um, Chinese New Year. Okay, uh, yeah. end of January into February, and it's only just just ended. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, and I I thought it last lasted seven seven days. It goes for a month. Oh wow! So if you haven't um, got enough inventory to last through that time, or you don't have enough packaging you're kind of screwed. Wow, because <laughs> so everywhere shuts down. Literally every yeah. factory in China shuts down. Okay. Wow. Um, so, yeah, that was something where I was like, oh, my goodness, we have no packaging. Um, and a really um, big part of uh, Porter is the branding and it's the packaging. Yeah. Like if you're able to jump mm-hmm. online and have a look at the little boxes that come with it, like it, it's just it makes the brand feel so special and luxury, especially if people are gifting it onto someone. It's like mm-hmm. it's a really beautiful packaging. And so we ran out of our packaging and just very quickly had to source something else really sweet and cute and now we've just got these really beautiful little um, orange velvet pouches. Um, but everything's back in production now, so we'll yeah. be receiving them any day, which is really exciting. Um, so, yeah, I think you just have to be really quick and nimble. But then um, another kind of um, situation would be when I was first opening the retail space, we paid our bond, paid our first month's rent, and then um, just before I got the keys, um, just about to sign the contract, they were like, oh, um, because you're a new business, we need another two months rent and oh my gosh <laughs> um, that, that's that's a lot of money <laughs> and you're like um I already signed the contract yeah. yeah like hello I'm a new business yeah like, what they don't care about that they're but, just they need their security which yeah. is totally understandable yeah um and I remember um going back to 
uh, my partner and I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Like, I don't have the money. And then I literally started calling like my sister, my brother, like everybody <laughs> that I knew. And I was like, oh my God, like, is there anything that you can do? Like, um, I know at the moment, like, it's really easy to get your super out. Like, is there anything that I can do just to, to raise this money? And I'll pay it back to you within a month of trade. Like, I, I know that I believe in this so much. and I know I'm yeah. going to be able to produce the finances. I just need to get there. Yeah. And so then I managed to gather a little bit of everybody um, and I managed to raise enough money that I needed um, all in the mere 48 hours of stressing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so everybody, all like my family um, and Aww, friends and my partner, everybody so was so supportive and they really believed in that I could do it. Um, and, yes, yeah, so I managed to raise enough and managed to pay everybody back really, really quickly. Um, so, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Good. That's so stressful, though. Like, was there ever a time when you doubted that you'd be able to do it? No. <laughs> I love it. I, I just knew that I'd been in this situation before. And yeah. if, if anybody was ever to describe me in business, it's like there's, I would always, always say, like, there's a solution to every problem. Yeah. And you just have to figure it out. And if you want something bad enough, like, you'll figure it out. Mm. Yeah. Like, yeah. you just, you have to. Like, they, they, like you were saying before, like, there's literally, there was no plan B. Yeah. Mm. Just figure it out. I have a couple out. questions. Yeah, go on. Um, <laughs> so the first one um, is a pricing yeah. One, right? So basically, when I look at your product, mm. you know, obviously there's the quality of the product. Yeah. But then it seems like you've hit a gap in the market. Yes. Because, so I just want to talk about that. Yeah. Um, just because we've got, like, the cheap costume jewelry mm. that you can get at, like, H&M or mm. Zara or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And then we've got expensive jewelry mm. that people buy, you know, I don't know, in, in a jewelry store or something. Yeah. Like, so you've hit this beautiful midpoint where it's like quality enough to last Mm -hmm. and not cheaply made Mm -hmm. and priced like in the middle but sort of toward the lower end yeah Mm. so tell us about that conscious decision yes Yes. Mm -hmm. um so i mean being in retail for you know 13 plus years Mm -hmm. um i very quickly realized that price point is everything yes Mm -hmm. the items that move really quickly it's because mm-hmm. they're price pointed really, really well. And it kind of sits in that 99 to 189 price point here in Australia. I just mm-hmm. felt like that was always a really quick mover. Um, and then also in the, the jewellery industry, whether it's, you know, really high-end jewellery, um, you know, with like precious stones and, and gold and all of that, or whether it's fashion um you know, costume jewelry. A lot of these brands, they mark their product up. Like a lot of people probably don't realize this, but there's a huge perception around jewelry that it costs a lot to make. Mm. But it's actually, it's not. And a lot of brands just mark their product product up really, really incredibly high. Yeah. Um, and then you've also got, um, you know, brands that sell costume jewelry, but also sell it for probably a lot higher price pointed than mine. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's not, it's not worth what it, what it is. Like it's literally just plastic. Right. Um, and so I was like, you know what? Um, I've got really small overheads. I can create a really beautiful brand, really incredibly high quality. Um, mm-hmm. But I know what my margins are and I know what it costs to make this product. So I'm going to make a brand um, that's really accessible every day. Yeah. Um, but it's a little bit of luxury. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So just by knowing, you know, this is a an ethical markup. Mm-hmm. And a, a product that they couldn't get elsewhere for this price. Correct. You've, yeah. you've kind of hit that niche. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, our customers say that to us literally like every day they walk in our doors. They're like, how is this so well price pointed? And I try to yeah. explain to them without going into too, too much detail. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of brands, they just make mark up their product and we want yeah. to create a really everyday luxury um, label 
And I, I feel like we've been somewhat successful in doing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I actually have two more questions. Yeah, go. <laughs> um, so the brand. Mm-hmm. You have this really beautiful, like, elegant use of orange, mm. which is a hard... <laughs> Can you hard, tell it's my favorite color? <laughs> yeah. It's a hard... First of all, it's a hard color to use elegantly. Yeah. But you... Did you... Like, how did you create that brand? Um, I mean, I knew my favorite color was orange <laughs> um always growing up like my favorite mm-hmm. candy was always orange my favorite drinks were always orange like really? literally everything I was like, orange 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 and I was always like really mocked for it. um so yeah I, I knew I, I felt like I was always quite good um with using color um successfully even whether it was in visual merchandising um or anything like that and orange always just really stuck out to me yeah and so I just, you know, I played around with branding and text um, for, you know, the logo and all of that. And then I came across this really beautiful Pantone um, mm. and it was this really beautiful orange. And I put, you know, a beige um, logo off and I was like, oh, my God, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I saw it, I was like, that's it. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of just slowly evolved from that, from doing the shop fit out. Um, if anybody was ever to, you know, look online and see what the store is like, it's this really beautiful, um, you know, six metre long counter that sits in the middle of the store that's orange and white um, yeah. tiles. And it's so beautiful. And every time people come in, they're like, oh, my God, I love the orange. Oh God, I'm obsessed <laughs> with the tiles and, and the space. It's different. Like most jewellery different. stores have like the all white. Yeah. yeah. And it's like everything looks the same and everything's white. Yeah. And I get that that's so that the jewellery pops. Yeah. But like yours just looks so different. Yeah. It's definitely um, stands out. Like you Aww. want to go in, you're like, oh, is this a candy store? No, it's a jewellery <laughs> store. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of the goal to make something really um stand out and orange is also a very uh creative color and mm-hmm. it's also very calming uh, so when people walk into the space they're always like oh it's just a really lovely environment to be <laughs> now I don't want to leave so yeah. yeah so good okay last thing yeah color. so for those of you in the states who are listening in and have never been to Australia uh Bondi is kind of like our Venice beach yes. <laughs> so I want to talk to you about location because you've got a really amazing location. Yeah. And if you're opening up a retail store, how much that, how much you analyze that and how mm-hmm. much that matters, mm-hmm. you know, what is your strategy there? Yeah. So um, I absolutely love being in Bondi, by the way. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> we really, like, we have um, something that we call the Bondi bubble. Do you and prefer it's so, it to the rocks? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I, I've always loved being by the ocean. Yeah. Like, I was definitely by the ocean there. I was just under the Harbour Bridge. Um but yeah, I just love being in the Bondi bubble. It's great. Um, so when I was actually, the, the job that I was working at um, before I opened up Porter was literally directly across the road. Ah. Um, so I was working there and also I went in, uh, when did I start working there? I think it was July, August of last year. Okay. Um, and this was like full-blown COVID. But it's really interesting, the, you know, the, the sales that they were ticking over in that retail space, I was like, literally, it's the middle of, like, a pandemic and women are shopping. <laughs> like, there's one thing that women do really well and we shop yeah. <laughs> really well. And I was I couldn't believe it. Like, in Bondi, if anybody's ever come there before, we have such a, like, a beautiful community there. Yeah. And it's so, I wouldn't say it's overpopulated, but, like, we've just got a really strong community in Bondi and it's very compact there. And there's just, there's a lot of, like, people there a lot of influencers live there yeah. um a lot of yeah really well-known people and 
there's just a really, really strong community there. And that's the one thing I noticed working in this retail space. We, you know, find out, um, you know, where where they're from and, and like nine times out of ten, if not like every customer was local and they yeah. were spending money and they were coming in there, you know, multiple times every week and shopping. Wow. To support yeah. local. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, there's a market here. Like, I have no doubt in my mind that if I was to open up a retail space, yeah. like that it would tick along here. And um, when I was having my store in the Rocks, um, Sardis Boutique, it was very um, focused on tourism. Mm -hmm. And so if there was no tourism, there was no sales. Where mm -hmm. in Bondi, there's so many locals and obviously um, Australia at the moment, like there's no international travel or anything like yeah. that happening. Mm -hmm. I was like, the people are in Bondi, like there's money to be made here and women love to shop and they want something different. And at that time, there weren't too many jewellery brands um, in Bondi. I think there's a couple more now, um, like really beautiful brands, um, but nothing with the price point that I'm doing. So I was like, you know, what? there's a gap in the market here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go for it. And worst case, if it doesn't work out, just go get another job. Like it's not the end <laughs> of the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It's a good attitude to have. Yeah. yeah. I think it's interesting that you like analyzed the community. Yeah. And then looked at the spaces and the other businesses mm -hmm. because yeah. yeah, that's like who the who the audience is and how lucky to have had your lease run out right yeah. before the pandemic. Literally. <laughs> say, I don't want it anymore in, in the yeah. rocks. Oh my god, that would have been so scary. <laughs> I, I've actually I've went back to the rocks and I've seen my old retail space and I think there's another store that's there. And um, yeah. some of the girls were saying they only open up one day a week now. Aww. Which is really, really disheartening to Aww. see that for um, other young women in business. But yeah. I was just like, I kind of got out at the right time. Yeah. yeah. Which was very lucky. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, the other thing, like the conditions are right. Like you're you're analyzing the people, but if you look at it from a purely demographic standpoint, mm. like it's a um, it's an expensive place to live. So mm -hmm. people probably have higher incomes. Yes, right. Yeah. It's a tourist area and and not like the rocks but it's all it's somewhere people go yeah it's iconic yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if if you're whether you're like living out west or you're coming mm -hmm. in when once international travel starts again mm -hmm. people are typically going to visit Bondi yeah 100 <laughs> percent. and a lot of my customers for my first retail space we'd always find out you know where they're staying where they're going mm -hmm. and just general chit chat and Bondi would always come up yeah. So it's just it's the place to go and the place to be. Yeah. For sure. If you'd come to Sydney and you don't go to Bondi, you're really not doing Sydney. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. Oh, that's such such good information for people to have. Yeah. yeah. So if someone's listening to this and they're thinking of starting their own retail store, mm -hmm. what are your like key takeaways of advice that you would you would say to mm. them? Um retail isn't easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you really you really like I would say the best thing to do is get experience first working in, in retail and really understand what your customer wants from like a shop floor perspective. Mm -hmm. um, really do research on what your customer is looking for in that location. Like if possible, like get a job in the area that you want to open up a store. Yeah. Like I cannot stress that enough mm -hmm. um, and really get an idea of like who your customer is, what they want, the price point that they're spending. Yeah. Um, and then it's like, does your product stand out from the rest like it's got to have a really unique um difference mm -hmm. um and yeah I just think just do your market research like go into every space in the area and and start asking like how they're trading um does this store do well mm -hmm. like what's the age of your customer and you'd be so surprised like as like a young woman in business going into these spaces like people are so open to wanting yeah. to help and um 
and, you know, just give a little bit of information. Yeah, like, I probably wouldn't good. walk in there and say, how much money did you make yesterday? But, yeah. <laughs> like, just get, like, gather information. I think yeah. it's, like, it's the biggest key. Yeah. Mm. With finances, when you, like, you know you've got an overhead every day with that rent. Yeah. Yes. Right? So, like, do you have a number in your mind every day? Like, oh, I've got to hit this to oh, make my rent go over. 100%. Oh, really? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Like, I think you'd be silly not to. So, yeah, we just kind of, um, obviously, we're still quite new. Mm-hmm. to the market like we've only had the store for four and a half five months now mm-hmm. and so it just takes time to figure out um wh- what our budgets are but obviously I know you know we've got rent to pay we've got the cost of the product we've got wages um you've got your overheads and, and all of that jazz so we've definitely figured out a number off that um but yeah the the store's really been ticking along so haven't had to think too much about that yeah um, which I'm very grateful for um, but, yeah, you definitely – I'd say that's another really big um, thing. You need to know your numbers. Yeah. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. And if, you, if you're not good with numbers, hire somebody who is. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah, don't just put your head in the ground, like, because you're like, oh, I don't want to deal with this part of yeah. the business. Yeah, like, and that is yeah. l- literally – that's basically what I did with my first business. Like, I'd be scared to open up my bank account and look at what I've got coming in and going out. Yeah. And you have to, like, you, it's just so naive not to. Right. Yeah. Got to know your numbers. Also, um, for people listening in uh, other parts of the world, the, the minimum wage is quite high here compared Correct. to other people, yeah. other places. Well, compared to the U.S. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so when someone in the U.S., like, the minimum wage there is $7.25 or something like that. You couldn't get me out of bed for $7.25 <laughs> an hour. You would be amazed. Like, people work multiple jobs raising kids on $7.25. The minimum wage here is like nineteen dollars, isn't it? Oh, twenty. It's a little bit lower than that. Okay. Yeah, but it's roughly about that. It's yeah. not far off. Yeah. So you, I mean, the the point of that whole thing is, if you want to to open a retail store here, you have to pay quite fair wages, living yes, wages. Correct. Yeah. And people, that is an expectation. Yeah. And everybody's doing it. Yeah. It's the law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the law. Yeah. You'll figure out yeah. very quickly. But yeah. people, don't do I don't right. even think people expect to be paid like 17 or 19 or whatever it is. People mm. typically expect like 20 or 25 mm. or whatever for mm. any job. But mm. it's, but the, there are so many small businesses here and mm. they thrive. Yeah. And they'd pay those living wages. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, what do you, how, why do you think that is? Do you have a perspective on that? Like how they do it versus other places in the world that, that refuse to do it? Do it? Oh, goodness. I haven't, <laughs> I, to be completely honest, I haven't put too much thought behind yeah. that. Um, but I mean, in, in my um, space that I have, I've always looked into hiring more junior staff, you know, mm-hmm. people who are quite young and, um, you know, willing to work. I wouldn't say it's the minimum, like it's the minimum of like um, in the industry, like what's expected. Yeah. But I always hire more junior staff um, who, you know, they just, they're excited to have their first job and yeah. um, and they're really willing to work and they're super passionate and excited. Um, yeah. and, and then you teach them retail. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah everything yeah. is like, if you've got the right attitude, like I can teach you anything. I can teach you how to sell a pen. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. So, um, but yeah, I haven't, haven't really put too much thought behind. Yeah. Um, yeah that's a, that's that. a way around it is like, yeah, you're, you're hiring junior staff. You're still paying that wage. You're yeah, still correct. like making money and get, mm. getting by. My perspective on it is that if you have more people earning a living wage, you've got more people spending money. You've got correct. more money going around in the economy and therefore... 
you're, oh, of course. You're just like creating wealth for everyone, including businesses. So, Sylvie's not American, but she's a Democrat. So sorry, <laughs> knows. I think it's obvious now after almost 100 episodes. That I'm... She's like, obviously, if we pay people better, they'll be able to spend more money. <laughs> but that's, actually, that's another really interesting point because um, – you know, just from working in retail and doing all of that, mm-hmm. a lot of um, the girls that you end up hiring spend more money than they earn in the space that they're working. Like yeah. if they love the brand. Yeah. I know I did that. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they'll be living with their parents or in a share house with a bunch of people. And yeah. like, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. just fun money for <laughs> but them. They look exactly. great. <laughs> yeah. Great wardrobe. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, thank you so much, Shelley. It's been really inspiring Aww. speaking to you as always. And thanks for coming into the studio as well. It's always Aww. great to have people come in. Thank so. you so much for having me here, guys. Of course. And chat all things border. Yeah, it was really fun. And if people want to shop your jewelry, mm-hmm. how do they find it? So it, um, you can shop on Instagram. So you can jump Ooh. on it, which is Porter Jewelry. So you can shop directly from there. Um, otherwise, uh, www.porter-jewelry.com. And could you spell jewelry for the Americans? Oh, in the yeah. Room? <laughs> <laughs> I always have to autocorrect. Yeah. It's spelled the British way. We'll, yeah. put, we'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> yes. I think that would be the handy spelling. thing yeah. to do. <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by Invoice to Go. We're an invoicing and billing app that helps business owners work and get paid from anywhere at any location around the globe. We're helping close the gender-based pay gap. Because the current U.S. pay gap sits at around 19%, listeners of the Female Founders Network podcast get exactly 19% off of any subscription. Just enter the code EMPOWERWOMEN at checkout.